You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the educational podcast for busy GPs. Today's episode is on the topic of interdentalomas. My guest is Dr. Brendan Adler, who is a radiologist and CEO of Envision Medical Imaging in Perth. He's a radiologist with a special interest in thoracic imaging, musculoskeletal imaging and cardiac imaging. Welcome, Brendan. Oh, thanks very much, Tim. So today's topic's really, I guess, quite pertinent to a lot of GPs. It's incidentalomas, which, you know, we're encountering all the time. So I guess just to put it out there, how common are incidentalomas? And one question people have asked me as well is, are they becoming more common with these sort of newer imaging, more powerful imaging techniques that we're using? Yeah, no, Tim, absolutely. They're very common. I see them all the time in my practice every week. And obviously, the more complex imaging you do, such as CTs versus chest x-rays, clearly the more incidental findings you're going to find. And so we see them all the time and very regularly. And sort of touch on that topic of some tests are a bit more likely to find them. So what imaging tests are much more likely to to reveal incidentalomas? And, you know, I guess, what are the ones that are likely to sort of really show the the high risk or the worrying incidentalomas? So the commonly uh, appearing incidentalomas are most often detected by CTs or ultrasounds in general practice, also in MRs, but maybe not so much, depending on how many MRs you as a GP or to yourself. But Classically, you, everyone's got experience of benign liver lesions discovered for hepatobiliary type ultrasound examinations. And we've all got experience of incidental micronodules in the lung for people who've had a chest CT for some other reason. And they would be the most common situations where I see incidental findings. They do have to be put into some sort of context because some findings are almost always benign. And the classic would be the incidental hepatic lesion done for a gallbladder study or a tiny little three millimetre nodule in a lung that you did for some completely other reason such as query bronchiectasis for someone who had a bit of hemoptysis or something like that. Mm. And they're incidental by nature so we're not looking for them but is there anything that we can be doing to I guess prepare or to try and avoid incidentalomas is perhaps one question I'd ask. I think it's very difficult to avoid incidentalomas as the techniques we use have increasing sensitivity by definition they lose a bit of specificity Mm. but I do think that if you're going to do a CT on someone particularly an older person no matter what the indication maybe it wouldn't hurt to say there's a good chance that we might find two or three three millimetre spots on your lungs that almost certainly will have no significance and can be ignored as compared to in the old days where you just wouldn't see them with chest x-rays so that would be one area another area I see lots of things is in cervical spine imaging where we see lots of thyroid nodules which again almost always will turn out to be nothing and there are certain incidental findings that are much more concerning to us and that would be things like we don't see them very commonly but when we see funny lesions in the breast they often are very important lesions another thing would be in the abdomen if you see a solid lesion on a kidney well that probably will turn out to be a renal cell carcinoma but that can be lost in a lot of other cystic diseases as well. Yeah, so not all incidentalomas are the same. Certain sites are sort of much higher risk and certain features sort of really trouble you more. So can we sort of hone in on that? So what are the features, say, in an incidentaloma that would perhaps make you sort of feel more alarmed, perhaps if it's not specifically reported in the report? So if I can take, you know, one of my areas of expertise, the lungs, for example. The key things that worry people are increasing size, 
But as the years have gone by with all the lung cancer screening studies, we've learned that lesions probably up to five to six millimetres that are circumscribed and solid are almost always going to be nothing, particularly in non-smokers. So increasing size, but particularly these days above six millimetres or above 100 cubic millimetres, if we do volumetric analysis, would be worrying. The shape of the lesion is quite important. So if they're spiculated, they're more likely to be malignant than if they're smooth. And paradoxically, what we would call subsolid nodules, which are the nodules that aren't absolutely solid, but often have a bit of a hazy look around the outside of them, what we would call ground glass. Those are paradoxically more likely to be malignant than a solid nodule. And then the other thing is there's certain areas. So nodules that are closely applied to fissures or the pleura, are almost always going to be benign, so-called subpleural nodules, whereas things in the middle of a lung are much more concerning. And a combination of all those things, together with your pre-test probability, when you see the patient, obviously they're a smoker, they've had exposure to asbestos or other risky dusts, or a family history or their own personal history of cancer, obviously you're going to upgrade their risk compared to normal people. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because by very nature, an incidental loma, it's not a question that the, the person asking the test is actually asking. So there's often not that sort of richness of detail to really sort of think about it. So, you know, understanding the anatomy really well of what you're imaging, I guess, is, is really, really important. Yeah, totally. And, 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 you know, the great thing about the lung cancer screening studies is that we now have this huge body of data of people, many of who've been followed up for a long time. So we can now confidently say, you know, things are much more likely to be benign and can be ignored. In my own personal experience, we've got a number of studies where we've been screening various populations. So we know they're gonna come back in a year's time in any case with say a low dose chest X-ray kind of type dose study. So if you know someone's coming back, you can be much more confident to just dismiss a whole lot of bunch of stuff than if you think, well, if I don't see this, this might not be looked at for another five years. So that's also another thing. If you know someone's coming back regularly, you're much more likely to downplay it. Mm. I think that's the benefit of observing over time is massive, isn't it? And I think that's probably often not conveyed to people as mm. well, you know, before having the test. What about this concept of high-resolution versus, let's say, normal-resolution tests? Uh, high-resolution tests might be better at answering the specific diagnostic question you're asking, is it bronchitis or whatnot? But are high-resolution tests, like high-resolution CT, more likely to pick up incidental omas? In the lungs, it probably doesn't really matter that much because there's so much inherent resolution in the lungs because they're basically air or not air. So very low dose studies at a comparable dose to chest x-rays will pick up nodules in the lung because it's a question of your lungs should be black and if they're not black then they're abnormal. If you contrast that with say the liver where a liver cancer is not that much different density to normal liver tissue then you need higher resolution studies to do that. I'd also make a little distinction between what we call high spatial resolution, which is the sort of what sort of smallest shape you can see and high contrast resolution, which is what different densities you can detect. And often it's a bit of a one goes against the other. So very high spatial resolution studies often don't have that good contrast resolution and often contrast resolution improves when you actually use thicker images and inability to detect smaller things. Hmm. Let's talk through a few of the common situations where people get incidental omas that probably come as a surprise. So I think 
it probably wouldn't surprise a lot of GPs out there to find, say, a liver incidental when you're imaging the liver. We, we sort of see them all the time. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned before was, say, imaging the neck uh, for the cervical spine and finding thyroid uh, incidental lumas. That's a really sort of common example of something that you're completely not prepared for or looking for whatsoever and really catches you by surprise and catches the patient by surprise. Are there sort of other specific tests that you find more likely to sort of yield non-target organ incidental lumas? Yes, and well, you know, the classic would be still abdominal imaging where you're looking at one organ and you see something else. And, you know, a CT of the abdomen, ovarian cystic disease is very common and we'll often see, you know, a cystic lesion in an ovary on someone who's having a CT for some completely different reason. And a CT is not that very good at distinguishing between complete cystic lesions and not. So whereas a pelvic ultrasound, we'd be pretty confident if we do a CT, we might see this low attenuation thing in an ovary, which we weren't really looking for, and yet you know it's going to be benign, but you'll end up then doing a pelvic ultrasound, you do a yeah. transvaginal ultrasound to prove that the thing that you never thought was really going to be a worry was in fact benign. And so, you know, you, you almost do a test that you know is going to be normal, which goes against the grain as an imaging specialist like myself mm. to do tests. It would be like doing a haemoglobin if you knew the person wasn't anemic, you know, you'd do it with sort of mixed emotions kind of thing. But we do a lot of imaging for this sort of stuff where we're, we've got a pretty high pretest probability that it's nothing. Yeah. And I, look, I think that's a really important point. You know, for the patient experience, you know, a lot of imaging is the same. You know, they, experience, they turn up for a test, they get the test, they go back to the doctor to get the report. But, you know, how imaging is reported is not universally the same throughout. And having a quality provider who, you know, takes the time to really, you know, interpret things well and avoid that sort of the unnecessary test is really important. Yeah, and look, it's like everything else is becoming more and more subspecialised. You know, my speciality is as well too. And there's no doubt that if you have a lung CT reported by a thoracic radiology specialist, you're much more likely to have an incidental finding reported as benign, no follow-up then a non-specialist thoracic radiologist is much more likely to be a little bit more cautious and suggest, you know, multiple follow-up CTs to confirm benign nature. And that applies to other organ systems as well too. You know, specialist radiologists will more often be confident in dismissing incidental omas than people for whom it's not their subspecialty. Okay, so one little bugbear of mine is, and I've had this happen quite a few times, I start with a test in one place, it that that test overlaps into another place and picks up an incidentaloma. So as an example, I've often done chest imaging, picked up a liver lesion, and then the next thing you're doing, you're on a wild goose chase chasing down a liver. So you, you start with, say, a chest CT, you end up getting a partial CT of the liver, ask for a liver ultrasound or a liver MRI or something like that. Is there any way to avoid that, Brendan? I'd love to say yes, but... <laughs> You know, my career is littered with such examples, Tim. And often the technique that you're using for one is not the best technique to prove the point. So, for example, the classic would be liver hemangiomas, where often in the chest you're not using contrast at all or you're doing it in one arterial phase in the chest, which is not the appropriate one to be confident of what it is in the liver. And then, as you say, they end up with an ultrasound. And then, you know, hemangioma that's small and one centimetre has characteristic appearances often at ultrasound. But if they're like two or three centimetres, they often don't have an absolute typical appearance. So you do the ultrasound, but it's not absolutely typical of a hemangioma. And then you find yourself doing a multi-phase CT or an MR for something that no one involved in the patient's care ever thought was going to turn out to be anything. And particularly, you know, that would be, you've looked for bronchiectasis in a 40-year-old female and you found something in the liver. We all know it's going to be a benign liver lesion, but we kind of feel we have to prove that. Mm -hmm. 
And it causes a lot of distress with patients as well, which is that I think from the GP perspective, we have to sort of unpack it all with the patient. And I think the, the patient's very often looking for a tidy resolution, which sometimes there just isn't. You know, they do sometimes just need testing over time. So, Yeah, totally. And look, the sad thing is I wish every incidentaloma was in fact incidental. In, in reality, in my experience, most incidentalomas are incidental but occasionally they are something and it's one of the beautiful things I think about radiology is that we do pick up these you know early ovarian disease or early renal cell cancers or early lung cancers that are actually treatable and curable that we never did when we used techniques that didn't detect these things. The downside is that we detect a whole lot of things that will be of no significance to people and as you say can just cause unnecessary angst and you know distress to patients. Yeah. So, you know, from that sort of point of view, what are the challenges that incidentalomas sort of give you as a radiologist? What, what do you find hard about them? The hardest thing for me is that almost always I want to say, in my own mind I'm talking about, not in the report, that this is nothing and therefore I try as much as possible not to even mention them in the report because the moment that they're mentioned in the report, it starts people on a little treadmill of we need to get to the bottom of this and prove it definitively. So... If you're confident, and I'm happy to do this in the lungs quite a lot of time with small nodules, I often won't even mention it. I'll just say there's no significant lesion or there's no worrisome focal pulmonary lesion because the moment that you say there's a five millimetre pulmonary micronodule, that then gets everyone's you know concern up. And then the only way to get rid of the concern is to finally prove what it is, which might be extremely expensive, extremely wasteful and extremely anxiety provoking. Mm. I guess, uh, so last question, Brendan, what would you like us writing in that clinical history box that'll help you to either prepare for incidental lomas or manage incidental lomas or, or make your report easier? What are you looking for from us? Well, in some respects, it's, it's almost a retrospective type thing because you don't know you're going to find an incidentaloma till you've found the incidentaloma. Mm. I must say my practice clinically is often if I find one of these things, I'll often ring up the docs and say, are they a smoker? You know, do they have a strong family history of you know, lung cancer? Was there you know, dust exposure or something like that? And then that will make me feel super, super confident if the answer to all those questions is no. I think as a GP, if you just prepare your patients that with modern techniques, that we might find something that is of no significance, but we might have to do something about that it would probably diminish their anxiety rather than them seeing a report that says you know there's a spot on your lungs mm. which everyone will naturally assume is lung cancer but in actual fact almost never is mm. look that's just brilliantly helpful thanks for talking about incidentalomas our next episode is specifically around chest nodules so stay tuned for that thank you brendan brilliant tim thanks 